post Jubilee slowdown, what post Jubilee slowdown? In addition to a huge handful of engagements, the Royals are continuing their work at annual Royal calendar stables like Order of the Garter and Royal Ascot. Plus, the Cambridges are moving to Windsor sooner than we thought, and Prince William has a big birthday this week. All of this and a whole lot more on episode 64 of Podcast Royal. Welcome back to episode 64 of Podcast Royal. I am Rachel, and I want to ask you, lovely Jessica, how are you, first of all, and what you're into this week as we try not to melt in this heat wave we're experiencing? Oh, my goodness. I know it is super hot out there. Really, I mean, I think it's all across the country, and you are right. I don't know what kind of uh, summer this is, but I thought summer was supposed to be relaxed and things have not slowed down with the Royals. So we've had quite, no, we've had quite a few um, things go on since our last episode and it feels like um, it's been a while since we've been on here chatting. Um, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, it's, we just talked offline about everything that's going on and I'm good. There's just, you know, a lot of moving parts in life right now and life is good, but it's just life rolls on, you know, and, um, but it's great to be here with you. I totally agree. Always good to be here with you. Um, so before I talk about what I'm into, I wanted to share a message we received from a listener on Instagram. So our listener, Catherine, sent us a DM and it was so kind. She said, firstly, I just want to let you know how much I adore your podcast. I found your podcast early on and always love when you have a new episode. I love your segments, your research, your guests, your friendship, and your respectful sharing of all royal information. Thank you for your amazing podcast. So she went on to say that she has an upcoming trip to London, and she was looking for some recommendations for exhibitions. And we chatted about, um, you know, a few ideas we had for when she visits and just wanted to say thank you so much to Catherine for your kind, lovely words. I hope you have a wonderful time in London and definitely let us know what you end up doing on your visit. Um, You know, messages like that really re-energize me after we have a lull or a hard week or a heavy news week or a busy week. And, um, you know, just to know that we have this little community that we can connect with and hear from our listeners and, um, and chat with them and know what they like and they can share their thoughts is a really, really fun thing. Um, So I really appreciated that. That is so sweet, Catherine. Thank you so much. You've made my day. Thank you. Okay. So for what I'm into this week, um, (laughs) it's kind of funny and probably not relevant to a a lot of people out there, but if you have never been to Birmingham, let me um, educate you a little bit. So we live here in Birmingham, Alabama, a southern town in the United States that is literally an ocean away from Great Britain. However, If you take a close look at our cute little town, you might notice a lot of nods to lovely Britain. Um, And I would bet many people overlook it or don't pay attention to these little details. So I wanted to call out a few things that have caught my eye as I've been driving around town this past week. So the first and obvious nod is the name Birmingham. You know, we were not the first Birmingham. There is a Birmingham in the UK, which we share a name with. Um, But we also have a little area um, here in town called English Village. 
It is a cute little village with local shops and nice restaurants. They've even got a French bakery over there um, that that is really quaint and cute. And I think they actually have like like really really good um, authentic French um, baked items there. So yeah. if that's not enough for you. Um, I drove past new, two neighborhoods the other day um, on the way home from running errands, and one was called Kensington, and the other was called Windsor, and they were right next to each other, and I just thought that was so funny, um, and then the last thing I'll call out, Rachel, I know that you've eaten at this restaurant, but we have a place in Birmingham called Little London. It is a British themed restaurant with traditional British food and there is a big red double decker bus parked right out front. So the owners bought the bus, which is a 1968 Leland Titan PD3. Um, and they originally used it as a food truck. So they would go to breweries around town and, and park there and serve food. Um, they restored the whole inside with tables and chairs and um, they have menu items like fish and chips, bangers and mash, and even sausage rolls. And they named the bus the Duchess, which I thought was really, really cool. But you want to know the other fun part, Rachel? Yeah. So Little London is actually featured in a Netflix series called Fresh, Fried, and Crispy. And it is a show featuring creative and delicious takes on fried food. And I did double check. It is still out there on Netflix. I think it might have come out maybe in like 2019 or, or something like that. Um, but listeners, if you want to go watch that, check it out. And if you ever find yourself around this part of the United States and you want to um, have some British food, uh, go on to Little London. So. I love Little London and I didn't realize they were on Fresh Fried and Crispy. I'm gonna have to go look up that episode. I love the fish and chips at Little London. And I want to call, so you said that there were streets called Kensington and Windsor. There is a street in Cahaba Heights. We're getting so granular here in local, but Cahaba Heights slash Mountain Brook that the street name is Buckingham Place. And so every time I drive by this street, I do a double take because I'm always like, why would they name a street Buckingham Palace, but it's Buckingham Place. So there's a lot of British history and roots in this town. So yes, I have driven by that by that street many times. And I I forgot to mention that one. That's a good call out. <laughs> yeah, it's every time I'm like, and you think after 10 years of living in this place, I would get it right but I don't really go over to that area of town much anymore but anyway yes maybe that's why we love the royals is there's so much Britishness <laughs> around us well as for what I'm into this week so this past Sunday of course was Father's Day both in the U.S. and the U.K. I think it's interesting that both countries celebrate Father's Day on the same day but Mother's Day is in different months but I digress so for the holiday we got an adorable photo of the Cambridge kids hysterically laughing alongside their dad, who of course is Prince William, who they obviously adore. If you recognize those outfits in the photo, you are not imagining things. This photo was taken on the same day as the Cambridge holiday card photo, which was taken on a private family vacation to Jordan last fall. So, you know, we're gonna talk about William quite a bit this week today, June 21st, the day we're recording is his 40th birthday. And honestly, while I enjoy watching him in his role as future king, I really enjoy watching him in his role as a dad. So happy Father's Day to William and all the dads out there while we're at it. Happy Father's Day. Yes. So let's go ahead and jump into my fashion pick of the week. I was just chatting with Rachel before we started recording and I was like, um, 
you know, I thought I would pick something maybe from Royal Ascot, but I'm going to go a little bit different here. Um, and we're going to throw something else out that may have actually been a fashion pick that listeners might have overlooked because I feel like I didn't see a whole lot about it. But if you recall, um, what was it? A couple weeks ago now, um, the West Sixes were in Gibraltar. And Sophie had a really, really pretty dress on. If you go to the Royal Family Instagram account, you can see it there. It's this like white or ivory colored dress. It's got short sleeves and the skirt part kind of looks like flower petals, sort of like, like petally pleats. Um, it hangs just below her knee um, and just a really great like sun summer dress that would be awesome to wear to an outdoor party or event um, or, you know, to church or something like that. It's a really pretty dress. She had it with, I think, um, very light pale colored shoes. And I did look online for the designer and I couldn't find it anywhere. I found a couple of websites that talked about the dress and no one mentioned the name of the designer. So if listeners happen to know, please let us know. Um, I would love to know who makes it. She does look beautiful. We'll talk about this later on, but I was a little bit unimpressed with Ascot fashion this year, which is not the norm. So I agree with kind of going off of Ascot fashion. It's shocking that we couldn't find one that we like really, really loved. I mean, the, the looks weren't bad, but they, there were no real standouts necessarily. And, but I did, so I, I had overlooked Sophie's dress that you just talked about, but I went before we started recording and looked on the June 7th post on the Royal family's Instagram. And it is a beautiful dress and she looks beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We'll talk about Ascot in a little while. Um, but yeah, totally agree. Well, let's move into segment two, the Royal Rundown. So first up in the Royal Rundown, let's chat, if we will, about Lily's birthday cake, which was revealed not long after that adorable first birthday portrait of Lily came out on June 6th. So by the end of the week, I think it was that Friday, Violet Cakes Bakery in London shared a photo of the custom pink cake they made for the backyard barbecue at Frogmore Cottage that Harry and Meghan had on June 4th, which was Lily's big day. She turned one in case you were under a rock and missed our Mm -hmm. last episode and missed every news headline ever. So Violet Cakes owner and baker Claire Patak, which I hope I said that correctly, that name you might recognize because she baked Harry and Meghan's wedding cake, gave details on Instagram about Lily's cake. She wrote, the inside was the Amalfi lemon and elderflower cake I created for the Duke and Duchess's wedding in 2018. But this time we covered it with the strawberry buttercream especially for a little bit. I'm going to pause here and say we did a whole episode on this show on cakes. So if you are interested in learning so much more about Harry and Meghan's wedding cake that we just referenced, go back to that episode. Jessica did a great lifestyle segment on cakes. So I think that detail is so thoughtful using the same baker that they used for their wedding, especially since they're so rarely in the UK anymore. And the strawberry buttercream sounds divine. I think I said on the cakes episode with when we talked about Harry and Meghan's wedding cake that it just didn't I'm sure it tastes great but it just didn't sound that great but the strawberry buttercream makes it elevate a hundred notches so the cake if you haven't seen a picture of it is adorned with floral details it's beautiful to look at I can only imagine it tasted as good as it looked although the ever-present and pervasive Sussex haters are saying it was too extravagant for a (laughs) one-year-old cake, of course. Um, To that, I say let them live, but I would love to know your thoughts on this cake. 
Well, I mean, of course I loved it. Um, peonies were all around the cake, which are my favorite flower. Um, and strawberry is a favorite flavor of mine. So I think it was a great birthday cake. Um, and I, um, you know, I definitely see why they would have gone with the same baker that they had at their wedding. Because if you find a good baker, you stick with them, especially yeah. if it's not like in your hometown, you know, when you're, you're going out of town, like you're not going to, you're not going to go off of, you know, who you, who you know, and love and trust. Um, so totally get that. And I really didn't feel like it was extravagant. I mean, of course it was an extravagant cake, but given, you know, it's a Royal affair and, um, I don't know if our listeners have seen some of the extravagant first birthday parties I've seen on like Instagram. And I mean, people go all out for parties these days. I thought it was lovely. Um, I mean, it, I would love to have it for my birthday cake, honestly. But, I know. Um, <laughs> I wonder, yeah. I wonder if they took the, so it's like, it's two layers. I wonder if they took the top layer. I mean, this is like way speculation and who really cares, but I wonder if they took the top layer and used it as her smash cake, you know how Oh yeah, smash cakes. And then, cause there were so few guests at the, it was just a very intimate backyard barbecue. Then they took the bottom layer and served that to guests. That's what I would do. Maybe uh, so. I mean, I, I'm sure it was an expensive cake, um, but I'm, like I said, everybody, especially in the world of like celebrities and royals and like influencers and stuff too, like everybody's doing over the top yeah. birthday parties these days. So I, I don't think that was really like out of the okay. That's a good ordinary. Thing. All the Sussex <laughs> haters, you, you and I, not just influencers, you and I all know people that we are friends with that have thrown more extravagant birthday parties for their one-year-old than a backyard barbecue. So get off their back, let them live. You know, they've got multi-million dollar deals. Let them have a cake, which I only feel like I read, I read this somewhere. Don't quote me on this, but I feel like I read it was only like 200 and some pounds. So it's really not that big of a deal. So back off haters, but anyway, so it was a beautiful cake and happy Again, happy belated birthday, Lily. And I'm glad we got to see a little bit behind the scenes action, both in the photos and seeing the cake. For sure. Um, Yeah, happy birthday, Lily. So Rachel, since we recorded last time, we've had a couple other events go on that we wanted to talk about today. And one of them was the Order of the Garter Ceremony, which for our listeners who may not know a whole lot about this, it's a very old royal tradition It dates back to medieval times, and the way that it works in today's time is men and women are chosen for this honor, the Order of the Garter, um, to to recognize them for their public service. So I think there's like a limited number of people who can hold this honor at any given time, but when a vacancy becomes available, a new honoree is announced, and according to the Royal Family website, Those who currently hold Order of the Garter include Her Majesty, several members of the royal family, and then there are 24 knights who have been chosen in recognition of their work. So it's a really big deal. Um, This year, Camilla, the Duchess of Cornwall, was invested by Her Majesty as a royal lady of the Order of the Garter. So um, a really special day for her. Yeah, that is Um, huge. Yeah, yeah. And and I think, um, you know, I think the family was excited to to celebrate that with her and you know each year there is a garter day procession where the queen and the knights process um at windsor castle and they're dressed in velvet robes listeners probably saw pictures on instagram they have hats with big feathers um it's very old school royal 
They look a little ridiculous. That's how you'll know it's order of the (laughs) garter is they look a little silly. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I I think it's, it's fun to see, but yeah, I totally agree. Oh, I Um, love it. I love it, but they just look like real silly, but it's, (laughs) it's tradition. So I get it. Well, this year, Her Majesty, unfortunately, did not participate in the public parts of Garter Day, but she was in attendance for the private lunch inside the castle. Um, We also saw Catherine, the Duchess of Cambridge, in attendance. She was wearing this beautiful blue coat dress and matching jewelry, Um, and she's been going for a very monochromatic look lately, which I love. I know we've seen the Duchess of Sussex do that as well, Um, and I really like the, the monochromatic stuff, but she stayed in this signature blue blue color that's kind of been in rotation in her wardrobe um, recently. I, I noticed that. And then we had the Prince of Wales, the Duke of Cambridge, the Earl of Wessex, and of course, the Duchess of Cornwall. They were all in attendance. Um, but can you guess who wasn't there, Rachel? Oh, I know who wasn't there. And <laughs> that person was, I'm, I'm not sad about it. And that I'm guess, going to guess Andrew. Yep. So this has been a hot topic um, because listeners might remember he was scheduled to be there. So Andrew does hold this Order of the Garter honor. Um, He was invested as a knight in the Order of the Garter and would typically be expected to attend. Um, His name was even included in the program for this year's procession. And then right before the day, reports came out um, at really a last minute decision. Um, They decided to exclude him from the procession. And they're saying it was Prince Charles and Prince William that made that call. Mm-hmm. So I've read online that Prince William threatened to withdraw himself from the procession if Andrew was allowed to attend um, and that Prince Charles was kind of concerned because he didn't want Andrew to draw attention away from the event for the wrong reasons and overshadow Camilla. That's understandable. Um, so he complied. He was not in attendance for the public procession, but he was seen arriving at Windsor Castle that day and was in attendance for the private lunch that Her Majesty hosted. So After hearing all of that, I just have to know what is going on. I mean, why can't the family seem to be aligned on Prince Andrew's role as a royal? It seems to me like there's been a lot of miscommunication with where they stand on his permission to attend public events. Um, I mean, what do you think? Well, uh, let me tell you what I think. So we have a few forces at play here. We have a narcissistic Andrew who for whatever reason, thinks that he can be welcomed back into the royal fold and that everything's just going to be okay and we're just going to forget about the last two or three years of what's happened in his life. Then you have the queen who is his mother at the end of the day, right? And who loves her son and who wants probably to give him what he wants. It's, it's after all, this is a family business, but she's still his mom. And we have, have all heard the rumors that Andrew is the favorite child, whether that's true or not. She's still his son. She, excuse me. He's still her son. Not the, not she's still his son. Okay. So then we have Charles and William, especially William. I also, I think I even wrote an article that uh, from Marie Claire that William basically gave an ultimatum and said, it's either him or me, but you can't have us both. Mm-hmm. And so obviously the family, it's so originally when Andrew, cause Andrew, as you just said, was supposed to be there. His name was in the program and everything last minute, 
he pulls out. And originally it said that it was Andrew's decision for personal reasons to pull out. Well, then it comes out that it wasn't Andrew's decision at all. And it was really Charles and William that were leading that charge, in particular William, who laid down the gauntlet and said, it's me or him. I support it. I mean, they they are looking ahead to the future of the monarchy. And I don't see Andrew as at all a part of Charles' reign or or Williams, but not even Charles, his brother. And so I just think Andrew honestly needs to get a bit of a reality check and realize that this it's over. And he mm-hmm. will he will never he will he will never be stripped of his prince title. That's a birthright. And I think that um that's what he's leaning into as far as coming back into the royal fold that this is his birthright. But um, because he still has, obviously, he is still Prince Andrew. Can't take that away from him. He is still the Duke of York. He still retains that title, but his HRH has been stripped along. I mean, we've talked about this, but um, yeah, I just think that Andrew needs to realize that it's just not going to happen, especially after the queen is no longer with us. But um, it's, it's, it's sticky because at the end of the day, this still is a family business. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, and I definitely see, you know, from Her Majesty's perspective, you know, coming from it as a mother, um, I think, you know, I think she wants to do everything she can in her conscience to, to, to be a good mother and, and, and probably to, um, you know, do what she thinks is, is right by her sons. I, I don't know. But it seems strange to me. And it's kind of happened... I mean, they were a little bit more in line on the Sussexes and how they chose to, you know, announce that they were stepping away and they seem to have kind of followed, you know, the decisions that they made around that and to be sort of uh, unified in that. But it seems to me with Prince Andrew, it's like there's a miscommunication there. Like, you know, mm-hmm. he is somehow getting his name on, you know, the program and, and getting by everything and getting her majesty's approval to go to events. And then, you know, we now have Charles and William having to step in and say, no, 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 that that's not going to happen, you know, and I feel like they need, they need more unity there and how they approach that because it's going to start looking messy from the public perspective. Oh, it's, I think it already has started to look messy. And oh, well, for sure. Yeah. Especially now. Yeah. And of course, you know, we saw Andrew on the queen's arm at Philip's service of Thanksgiving back in March. We saw how well that went over, but, you know, I think out at Windsor, Andrew is geographically the closest in proximity to her. He sees her all the time. I'm sure he doesn't probably have to be that persuasive. Again, it's his mother, but I'm sure he's very persuasive. He is a member. Andrew is a member of the Order of the Garter. So technically he has the right to be there. I mean, he, he is a member of the Order, but I am thankful, to be honest with you, that if these rumors are true, that William was the one that said, no, this, is, it's, this will not go on. It ends here. I, have, I applaud that courage. Yeah, absolutely. I do, too. And I think, so he, we, I, I think he, he stood up for, you know, for what he believes in. And, um, and, and then I think, you know, we, we saw Charles backing that as well. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, William's 40th birthday is today. And I'm telling you, after the Caribbean tour and all of the problems that that brought about, I feel like William has really changed. I feel like he's letting his voice be heard more often. He's more assertive. He's 
laying down ultimatums. He's really putting his foot down for what he thinks is right. And I kind of love it. I mean, I, cause mo- mostly cause I agree with William, but um, I think, I think that I, I I'm, I'm loving this newfound, stronger, more assertive voice that William is carrying through. So um, yeah, he, he was really expected to be there. Cause I remember when we were, cause we build out what we're going to talk about over the course of two weeks. And I remember that we had it on the list, like, oh my gosh, Andrew is going to be there. And then boom, he wasn't there. So, well, you know, and I think, I think William is using this time before he takes the throne to really, um, to your point, especially right now, after, um, you know, some recent missteps and, you know, tours that it maybe have gone wrong. And I think he's trying to really step back and, and get perspective and take an assessment on how he wants to lead. And um, I think we're going to start seeing him stick to, to what he believes and how he thinks things should go. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the royal pecking order, you really have to defer to those in line in front of you, right? So it's been a lot of deference and rightfully so to the queen and to Charles. But now as we're really seeing the queen take a bit of a back seat, at least in person, and she's still very much working behind the scenes that we don't see, but it really is kind of the team is becoming Charles and William. And I really think that William is finding his voice. So I, hey, I support the decision, but um, moving on, I don't know if we expected the royal family to slow down after the Jubilee. I think maybe I thought they would take a little bit of a break, but that is not happening. As we've talked about already this episode, they have certainly not slowed down at all. The family was back to work undertaking all kinds of engagements just a couple of days after the Jubilee wrapped on June 5th. And then the next week was Order of the Garter, which was on Monday, June 13th. And then there was another staple in the Royal Diary right behind that, Royal Ascot. So this, in case you are new to Royal following and and have not heard of this, this is a five-day horse racing event that sees Royals take place in carriage processions. And not incredibly surprisingly, the Queen was forced to miss the festivities this year because of these ongoing and persistent physical mobility issues. So Her Majesty, who even a casual royal follower knows, Her Majesty is a huge fan of horse racing. She has been known to attend all five days of the event in the past, but this year was actually the first time she missed the entire event since she was crowned queen. So she has, she truly prioritizes this on her schedule, if that gives you any context to how important this annual event is to her. So day one was Tuesday, June 14th. Charles and Camilla led the carriage procession around the track, joined by my royal crush object. I've made no secret about this, Peter (laughs) Phillips, who, by the way, has a beautiful new girlfriend that is unfortunately not me, first of all, who we've been seeing at many royal events lately, including the Jubilee. We saw her there. We also saw her at Ascot later in the week. Um, Anne was there on day one. Beatrice and Edda were there on day one. This is the first full capacity crowd that has been at Britain's most popular horse racing event since 2019, pre-pandemic. And though she couldn't physically be there, the Queen released a statement for day one, which said, I have been most grateful for the continued kindness shown to me by the racing community. In my Platinum Jubilee year, I was interested to learn that in support of the Queen's Green Canopy Initiative, Ascot Racecourse and the Crown Estate have planted 70 oak trees in Windsor Great Park each of which is linked to a local school. So I love that. Um, I thought Beatrice looked stunning on day one and really throughout the week. Sophie though. Okay, Sophie 
was radiant. I think that you either sent me or we shared on Instagram a photo of Sophie from day one. Mm-hmm. And the woman is glowing. She looks mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic. And another stunner in pink was Carol Middleton, who of course is Kate's mom. She wore either the same dress or a very close dupe. I think it was the same dress to the pink dress Kate wore to meet Mila. Do you remember her? Do you remember this story? Oh yeah. The pink princess dress. Yes. Yes. So when Mila requested Kate wear that pink princess dress, right. When they met. So Carol repurposed that look for Royal Ascot. Uh, We did not see Kate and William, by the way, until day four on Friday, when Kate wore a brown and white polka dot number that looked very, very similar to one Diana, Princess Diana wore to another horse racing event, the Derby at Epsom Downs in 1986, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So I don't know if you want to have any thoughts day by day, but do you have any thoughts on day one or do you want me to just keep on rolling through that? Um, yeah, I mean, I no, I totally agree with you. Uh, we were talking offline before we started recording and said so we weren't super blown away by a lot of the fashion at this year's yeah. event. Um, I, you know, I thought Sophie did look great. And I've said this in the podcast before. I personally am not a big polka dot person. So um, anytime, you know, someone's in polka dot, it's very rare that it's a- I'm it's the a same way. But that, yeah, Kate, and that's a personal Kate choice. doing it. Kate, this is the third time in like a couple of months because she wore polka dots to fill up service at Thanksgiving. Yes. She did blue polka dots for the, at some point in the Jubilee. And now this, and I just, I don't know. They don't do it for me. Beatrice I mean, never Beatrice did Beatrice did polka dots later in the week. We'll talk about that, but um, they just don't do it for me. They just scream like it's the 1980s again. I'm three yeah. years old and I'm wearing polka dots and scrunchies. Like it just, it just doesn't do it for me personally. There are a few instances where I like them, but um, overall, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's a sort of a classic pattern that, you know, we'll continue to see Royals wear in decades to come, but um, it's just not something I typically am, am attracted to. Like and I to don't typically go polka dots. So. Yeah, to each their own. So moving on to day two of Ascot. So Charles and Camilla yet again led the procession on day two, Wednesday, June 15th. The hats, as ever, were out in full force. I love, I think I always love, well, I don't know, I say always. I I oftentimes love the fashion a lot more than I did this year. There wasn't bad fashion choices, but none of them were like, whoa, wow, that is a contender for Jessica's fashion pick of the week. But the hats, I do love the hats. I wish that there were more, I have zero hats like that. You know, no fascinators, no opportunities to wear them. I would love for that to, you know, become a thing in the U.S., but um, the hats were out in full force. Beatrice and Sophie were back for day two. Both continue to wow in terms of style. I'm telling you, Beatrice is having a fashion renaissance. I love it. None of the looks were like, oh my gosh, that stopped me in my tracks, but she looked great. Um, Day three on Thursday, Anne and daughter Zara Tyndall led the carriage procession. There was a bit of confusion on this day. So Anne's royal standard flag was raised and folks at Ascot mistakenly thought it was the royal standard as in Her Majesty's royal standard and thought maybe, just maybe the queen was there, which alas, she was not. It would not be out of bounds to expect the queen to be there. Like I just said, this was the first time she ever missed all five days in the entirety of her reign. So um, Kate and William led the procession on day four, which was on Friday. UK is experiencing a heat wave like we are here. It was so hot on Friday that in a first for Royal Ascot, 
the dress code was relaxed a bit and men were allowed to remove their jackets and ties, but the women still had to keep on those hot AF fascinators, I'm sure, and they're really high heels, but whatever. And um, spectators were also permitted to bring water and soft drinks into the arena. And in addition to donning her Diana-like outfit, Kate further honored the Princess of Wales by wearing a pair of her earrings, which were stunning. So want to see your thoughts on days two through four of Ascot before we close it out with day five. Well, like everyone else, I mean, I'm disappointed that Her Majesty was not able to attend as well. Um, We know how much she loves horse racing and she even attended the Kentucky Derby at least once in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's a big fan of horses. Um, But yeah, definitely um, fun to watch. Um, And I totally agree. One of these days, I am going to buy myself a fascinator and I'm going to find a reason to wear it. (laughs) Where are you going to wear it where you're not going to get funny faces looking at you? Nobody, even even if you wore that to a wedding, people would look at you straight. Even if you wore it to like church, on Sunday. Why is this lady wearing a hat and her hat is blocking my view? Well, maybe I'll have a tea party in London one day. So well, maybe, <laughs> maybe, well, maybe you'll just say, forget you haters. I'm going to wear my hat to church. I'm going to wear my hat to this wedding and you'll just love it. There you go. I don't care what people think I'm wearing my fascinator. I, I don't know. I've never worn a formal hat like that in my all of my 35 years of life, as many thousands upon billions of wedding receptions that I've been to, I've, no one wears hats and it's, it's, no, well, I mean, that's, I've talked about that before too. Hats are not really my thing. The only time you'll catch me in a hat is if it's one of those like oversized straw hats on the beach. Um, yeah, but, um, but you know, I could make a little fascinator with some flowers work. I could be into that. You would look beautiful in a hat. I say, I say, go for it. So finally, day five of Ascot was on Saturday, and like her cousin-in-law the day prior, as I just mentioned, Beatrice wore polka dots of her own to the final day of the horse race. So like I said, I'm always so into the fashion at Ascot. I look forward to it. I watch it like a hawk day to day. And honestly, one of my favorite looks came from Lindsay Wallace, who is Peter Phillips' girlfriend. Um, That was, she looked beautiful. Um, She was a standout for me. I mean, everyone looked great. There weren't any huge missteps, but none of the outfits this year took my breath away, except maybe, I don't, I don't know if it was Sophie's outfit or Sophie. I think it was really Sophie that took my breath away, just her glowing radiant skin on day one she was wearing a pink outfit but again it wasn't really the outfit it was her so um last call any standouts for you at Ascot that you that you enjoyed seeing yeah I mean I agree I think we've talked about this before too but um Sophie I think pink is one of her colors she looks great in it um she's been wearing it a lot lately um I feel like I saw a lot of people um, in sort of like watercolor tones. Like I saw a lot of like dresses that just looked like very, very colorful, a lot of variations and kind of had like a watercolor pattern. And I saw a lot of really great fascinators on just people in attendance. Um, as far as the Royals go, I'm going to agree with you. Nothing was really, really stand out for me this year. Um, but I did enjoy looking at a lot of photos online of other attendees. There were lots of fun outfits. Yeah, absolutely. So another year of Ascot in the books. 
No, I okay. Tell you next- what, I have to say one thing. I couldn't tell you one thing about what horse did well. Anything about the horse. <laughs> that's not what it's about for me. It's about the people watching and the royal watching and the fashion and the horses. I mean, they're great. They're a great backdrop for me. That, <laughs> that's not what brings me there. I will agree. So, okay, the next story is something that has been rumored for a little while now, and it looks like it might actually happen pretty soon, Uh, but the news just broke not too long ago that the Cambridges are moving to Windsor this summer. Are you excited about that, Rachel? I am, and we'll talk more about why in a minute, but I am excited for this for them. I am too. So up until this point, the family's primary residence has been Kensington Palace in London, which of course is near Buckingham Palace and where their office is located. You know, the family also has their country home in Anmer Hall in Norfolk. And we've talked about that on the podcast as well. Uh, We did a deep dive into different royal residences. Um, And then their new primary residence will now be Adelaide Cottage, which is in Berkshire. I always say Berkshire being an American, I think they pronounce it Berkshire County. Um, which I think is just over half a mile from Windsor Castle. So they'll be very, very close to Her Majesty. They do plan to keep their office at Kensington Palace and they are still going to keep Anmer Hall as their country home. Um, So they'll continue to be at Adelaide Cottage a majority of the time though. And it's being speculated that the reason for the move is schooling for their children. So Right now, it looks like they're planning to take George and Charlotte out of Thomas's Battersea, and then they'll start a new school year closer to um, to Adelaide College um, at a new school this fall. I'm not sure which school they'll be at, but um, another bonus for the move is not only will they be closer to Her Majesty, they'll be closer to the Middletons. So the Middletons live in Buckleberry. It's about 40 minutes away. Mm-hmm. Um, So there'll be a a close drive to their grandparents on the Middleton side. Now, some people have asked the question, why not just make Anmer Hall their primary residence since they they already have and use that home. But I do want to point out that Anmer Hall, if if you're not familiar with the UK, is two and a half hours from London. So it's much further from their office. It's really not realistic for a daily commute. Um, Adelaide Cottage will be closer, you know, really to both sides of their family, um, it's also be kind of believed right now that ultimately the Cambridges may move into Windsor Castle at some point down the road. Um, I don't think it's looking like Prince Charles is going to occupy that residence. So, like I said, I think this is really exciting. Um, I think it will give them an opportunity for a little more privacy while their kids are young before William takes the throne. Uh, but I want to know more about your thoughts if you think it's smart for William and Catherine you know, both from a professional perspective as well as a personal one. Yeah, I do. I think this is a great move for the family. I think it all boils down to the kids. The timing, first of all, they want to get, obviously, school begins, I believe, in September in the UK. And so they want everything settled by the time that George and Charlotte return to school. And somebody named Little Louie is starting school this (laughs) fall. So that's also important to them to get this all set up and rolling and be comfortable in the home and, and set up by the time that the kids go back to school, everything really at the end of the day revolves around the kids. And I read in some article, I can't even remember where it was from that, you know, I mean, and this makes sense in London, the kids, I mean, they're George, Charlotte and Louis, especially after the platinum Jubilee. And and even before that, they can't just go to a park in London, right? And play. They're not, they they are royal children. And 
So William and Kate have always expressed that they want their kids to have as normal of an upbringing as possible. Kensington Palace, which they live in apartment 1A, so don't, but don't let that fool you. Their apartment is, is massive. It's huge. Adelaide Cottage, I keep saying college, it's cottage. Adelaide Cottage, I believe only has four or five bedrooms. It's not big. And so it's, it's a very quote unquote normal size home. I mean, I, I guess you could say four bedrooms is a big house, but they have three kids. So, you know, it's, it's, it's much more normal, much more relatable. It will give the kids a chance to play outside and have the normal childhood or as normal as possible as William and Kate have always wanted. So I think it's gonna provide a much better quality of life for them. Um, Interestingly enough, it's also very close to Frogmore Cottage. So if uh, Harry and Megan should find themselves coming back, my dream, although it's probably a pipe dream, is maybe they can have play dates and they're so close, everybody's out at Windsor. I have also heard that um, when the time comes and nobody wants to talk about this, but that um, William, Kate, and the kids will eventually live in Windsor Castle. Charles seems to prefer Buckingham Palace for when that time comes. Also, I want to point out and throw in here, there is a little bit of controversy because I the number that keeps floating around in my mind is 12 million pound renovations to Kensington Palace that the Cambridges undertook to make apartment 1A more livable for their family. Of course, now they're no longer living there. And so, but their offices will be, will still be out of KP and they will still use the the home. And as you mentioned previously, this will put them so much closer to the Middletons who, as we all have seen, are very much involved in the three kids' lives. And so it just seems really like the right move, the right time. And I say, go for it. it. It feels right all the way around. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it'll be a great move for their family. And I think this is really the best time for them to take advantage of having a little bit more privacy, um, you know, while their kids are still young. Yeah, but I did also read that um, at the end of the day, once the kids are out of school, that they, um, that Amher Hall, this is pre-William becoming king, obviously, but once the kids are out of school and before William ascends to the throne that they will eventually end up at Anmer Hall. That's, that's like that. They love that home and Mm -hmm. that's probably the home that's closest to their heart. But as you said, it's just not really feasible. It's, it's, that's a five hour commute round trip. And that just doesn't make sense. So I think this is the right move. I feel like we've been talking about it for a while and it seems to be imminently happening. So I'm excited for them. I am too. So all anyone wanted to talk about from this particular day was Kate's pink pantsuit, which of course Mm -hmm. looked gorgeous. We always love to talk about the fashion, but I also really want to talk about the meat behind what Kate was doing on June 16th as she met with UK politicians. In addition to looking fantastic as ever, the work Kate was doing at this roundtable, which was her first ever with UK politicians, is, is work that I find quite significant. So Kate continues to champion her work with early childhood development. She told the group assembled that there is more we can all do to prioritize the well-being of children, be it by investing in children directly 
or in the adults that provide care for them. The meeting largely focused on findings by the Royal Foundation Center for Early Childhood, which showed that 90% of people agree that the early years are important in shaping children's lives, but less than 20% recognize that the first five years of a child's life are crucial to their outcomes later in life. So Kate said of this, the findings published today present us with a huge opportunity demonstrate there is a real appetite from the public to bring this issue up on all of our agendas. There is more we can all do. Every member of society can play a key role, whether that is directly with the child or by investing in the adults around them, the parents, the carers, the early years workforce, and more. If we come together to raise the importance of early childhood development, we'll soon see that healthy, happy individuals make for a healthier, happier world, which is why every second we spend with a child is an investment in our collective future. So as we could have guessed, this early year's work will undoubtedly shape Kate's career as the Duchess of Cambridge on into her time as Princess of Wales and later as Queen Consort. It is truly the work of her life. And while she did look fabulous in that pink pantsuit, bold choice, I love it. I think it's important to also recognize the work behind the photos. So any thoughts on this? Yeah, um, I loved the pink pantsuit. No, it absolutely is. I loved the pantsuit for sure, but I really love this project that Kate's been on and I love that she's passionate about it. And it's something that, um, you know, the, the Royals, they, they highlight a lot of different, um, I don't know, causes that, that are meaningful to them, but this one has really stuck out with me to me. I've been following along with, with Kate's work from this, uh, for a little while now. And I really think that there's a lot to be said about, um, you know, the early years and, in bringing that into light. Some, sometimes it feels like, you know, well, of course this is, you know, this is important, but you know, somebody needs to call attention to it. And, um, mm-hmm. I think if anything, um, hopefully what we can get out of it right now is that um, Kate is using her platform to really highlight how important um, this really is and, and, you know, where we need to put more focus on, um, on the early years for, for kids and, and what parents can do, what educators can do. Um, and so I want to continue to follow on this project and see what continues to come out of it. And um, I hope we get some really great um, work being done in the coming years. Yeah, I think you're out, like what you just said is absolutely right. You know, logically, we all know that it's important what happens in early childhood, but who is doing something about that? And so good for her for, for really taking obviously a passion of hers and doing something about it. So I want to sneak this in here. We marked the day when Her Majesty became the third longest reigning monarch earlier this year. Can't remember when that was. It was a couple months ago, three months ago, something like that. But the queen has officially become the second longest reigning monarch as of June 13th, when she marked 70 years and 127 days on the throne. She surpassed King Bumabal Adulidej of Thailand, whose name I think I just nailed. Go me. You always get the hard names. (laughs) I know. And this is the second time I've said this. So I was a little bit practiced because I said it a couple months ago, but he was crowned in 1946. He reigned for 70 years and 126 days before he passed away in 2016. So she's got about two years to go before she takes the top spot from King Louis XIV of France. He was on the throne for 72 years 
and 110 days. But keep in mind that King Louis took the throne at the ripe old age of four in 1643 which is the same age another royal louis we know and love is today I thought that was interesting so um i mean how do you how do you reign at four years old but anyway it's not it's almost not fair that he holds this record because you know 72 years is, is a really long time but when you start when you're four then i guess that makes sense but congratulations your majesty for passing uh your second second place but your first place in our hearts and give us two more years ish and uh we'll get you to the top spot (laughs) for sure so okay moving on to our next topic i want to talk for a moment about a little story that popped up briefly in news headlines last week um you know we just talked about some stuff that kate has been shining a light on but prince william was actually seen on the streets of london selling magazines undercover, and I'm using quotations as I say that because he really wasn't undercover for very long. So there is a UK magazine called Big Issue, which is sold at newsstands by homeless individuals. And, um, you know, anyone who's been without a job for an extended period um, also sell will sell issues of this magazine. And it's designed to help them earn an income and avoid debt while allowing them to, um, so so they purchase the magazine at a low price and then they're able to sell it double what they invested in it and then they can keep, um, you know, the purchase price that, you know, what they've not invested, they can keep the leftover part. So the point of this is um, really to help those in need act as a micro entrepreneur as they described it on their website. So um, they're asking the public when they purchase the magazine, not to just give money to homeless people selling the magazine, but to, you know, buy the magazine and take it because they are legitimately running a business and earning an income. Um, and I think on their website, they say it's not a handout, it's a, a hand up or something like that. Um, I love so this idea so much. This like gives me goosebumps. I love yeah, it. Yeah. It's a, it's a great business model. It's really interesting. Um, and I think it really helps teach people a lot of skills when it comes to business and, and working. So we saw William take to the streets and he was selling issues while dressed in the company's red vest and hat. And, you know, it kind of reminded me of that show undercover boss, um, where they go into the, you know, the companies that they own, the CEOs will go in and act like an employee, um, on the front lines. But, He was recognized by someone on the street and his cover was blown. So anyway, um, it's kind of everywhere now. They actually, I think, posted a reel about it online. But I wanted to ask you, Rachel, what you thought about it. Kensington Palace hasn't, um, well, I think I think they were someone reached out to them and they they hadn't really commented on it as of the other day. Like I said, there's a reel out there now. And William actually posted some of, I guess, some of his words on the Instagram account, he said mm-hmm. homelessness was something that was really um, close to him and something that he was really passionate about. Yeah. Um, he so wrote I guess an essay that, actually for the magazine and I'll talk about that in a second, but yeah, I, love I guess it. that was his, you know, his reasoning behind why he wanted to do that. But one thing that I think, you know, it was really great that came out of it was just this awareness of the publication and their mission. So hopefully those looking for work will now know somewhere they can go. And those who don't need a job will come out and purchase issues in support of their mission. So I thought that was really cool. And um, yeah, I really want to hear your thoughts about this. Well, I have lots of thoughts randomly about this. First of all, this is such a great idea. We should do something like this in the U.S. and everywhere. I think this is 
absolutely brilliant. And so it's so funny. I, I first of all, I want to know how long it took for William's cover to be blown because it, it couldn't have been very long, but in that short amount of time. So one of my dear friends, Carla Jean, she texted me and she said, Hey, my friend's brother is in the UK and Prince William was just selling him a magazine on the street. And I was like, oh, what wow, on earth are you talking about? Like, this is before it came out that he was doing this. I was like, are you sure? I'm thinking, are you sure that that was Prince William? Like maybe it was just his doppelganger, but I mean, of course, sure enough, it was him. So this, this guy who I don't know, it's just my friend's friend's brother, um, happened to be one of the lucky ones who was in the right place at the right time. And was sold a magazine by none other than Prince William and has photos to prove it. And so <laughs> William wrote about the experience in the big issue. He talked about Diana, of course, his mother, who first brought him to a homeless shelter when he was 11 years old and how much that touched him and how he plans to bring his own children to homeless shelters when they are probably roughly th that age as well, which they're not quite yet. But I just, I mean, this is, this is what I like to see. You know what I mean? I mean, I sure love a crown moment and a gala and ascot and all this stuff, but this is what I like to see. This is the type of on the ground foot soldier work that I really enjoy seeing. And I just think it's so wild that ran, I mean, this is like six degrees of separation, right? But like, I know someone who actually saw William doing this. And um, I, I say, go William, I love it. Yeah, for sure. And I think they'll, that person will probably frame that magazine, don't you think? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, I mean, I've, and that's why I want to know how long it took for the cover to be blown. Because that just, he really just, this, this guy really just must have been at the right place at the right time. But um, I love it. And so, you know, as we said, I mean, with this engagement with William and, and so many others that we, if we mentioned all the engagements that all the Royals went on, we'd have a three hour show, but the Royals have been back in engagements full force, no stopping them after the Jubilee. One of the most touching and one that I think deserves mention on this show was Kate and William's visit to a, a memorial for the Grimful Tower fire victims on June 14th, They, which is probably not probably definitely the reason why they weren't at Ascot that day. Um, it honored the lives lost in the 2017 fire. Five years, that seems, that seems like yesterday, but five years ago, 72 people died as the blaze tore through the 24-story apartment building. The Duke and Duchess of Cambridge met with survivors and those who lost loved ones, and the service featured readings, prayers, and choir performances. The couple later laid wreaths to honor the victims, very emotional, just a very sad and tragic anniversary. Of course, we also know that Harry and Meghan have deeply supported causes related to the tragedy as well. The New York Times actually reports that this was the deadliest residential fire in Great Britain since World War II. So very, very devastating. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on that before we go a little bit lighter to wrap up the Royal Rundown. Yeah, I just remember that story in the news when it happened. I can't believe it's been five years and it was it was so sad. And I thought it was really touching that they went to that memorial as well. Yeah, yeah, it's just awful. And, you know, our, I, I feel like this phrase is overused, but sincerely, our thoughts and prayers are with the victims, families and survivors who probably, I'm sure, carry that weight with them all the time. And um, just a tragedy that I'm glad that the royals are helping remember. And 
to wrap up the Royal Rundown on a much lighter note, happy birthday today, the day we're recording June 21st to Prince William. It's his 40th birthday today, milestone birthday. Of course, we just, I feel like we had Megan's 40th birthday last August. We had Kate's in January, Williams, and then we're going to have to wait a minute for Harry's. We're going to have to wait like two years and <laughs> three months for Harry's in September of 2024. But in the aforementioned essay that I talked about for the Big Issue magazine, he joked that he would like to be 21 again and that he's getting on a bit now. <laughs> but for I, I want to point out for an expert's take on William at 40, we actually already did our William 40th birthday party. We did it like in April. So go back to episode 60 of Podcast Royal for our interview with Robert Jobson, who is William's biographer. His book is called William at 40. And no doubt William has much to be proud of at 40. I mean, my gosh, what the travels he's done, the education he's received the engagements he's taken part in, but I think that he should be celebrated if as much, if not more so for an 11 year marriage and three fantastic kids, including his eldest, George, who did something this week. I think his dad would be mighty proud of George organized. George is only eight years old, by the way, organized a cake sale benefiting Tusk a charity that works to protect endangered species in Africa. That is a cause very close to William's heart. If you followed William for any period of time, you've heard Tusk. That's a charity that he really cares about. So for me, by the way, William may be 40 today, but he will always be 15 years old, full head of hair, looking <laughs> real good, just as he was when an 11-year-old me had his poster on my wall and dreamed of being queen alongside William one day. So happy birthday to the Duke of Cambridge. Absolutely. Happy birthday. And we're going to talk about him again in a second. Oh, yes, we are. But before we do, speaking of birthdays, let's have a very brief segment three royals around the world. So the Norwegian royal family, who we don't talk a ton about on this show, threw a huge birthday gala for Princess Ingrid Alexandra, who turned 18 this past January, but her celebrations were put on hold because of COVID restrictions. So Ingrid is second in line to the Norwegian throne, and this would have been special enough just to celebrate her, but we saw royals from all around the world come out to mark this occasion, complete with first-time tiara moments for so many of these future queens. This just really shows that, like, royal family, especially around Europe, especially the royal families of Europe, are really, like, they they really all communicate and they're friends and I mean and that makes sense because who else can understand the experience of being royal like other royals but um, it shows that they really are kind of like one big extended family even though they're obviously not blood related but four count them one two three four future queens were at the party of course Ingrid but also Katharina Amalia of the Netherlands who we've talked about on the show before how she gave up her um, inheritance and said it could be used for better purposes. Love that. Princess Elizabeth of Belgium and Princess Estelle of Sweden. Look, we may hopefully in the far distant future be losing our British queen, but we've got four queens coming up behind her in Europe and I, I'm excited for it. Girl power. So there were also royals there from Denmark, Spain, and Luxembourg all families that we talk about on the show. It was definitely a moment in the global royal scene, although I didn't see any British royals. So that's interesting, but I mean, they've been busy doing other things. So we haven't had royals around the world in a few weeks. And I thought that was worthy of inclusion Four future Queens in one room. And actually they took a photo. So four future Queens and a future grand Duke of Luxembourg in one photo. I think that's pretty cool. That is really cool. And, you know, I'm thinking my invitation might've got lost in the mail. 
Yeah, I know, right? Like I might not be the queen of a country, but I'm a queen. You're a queen. We needed to be there. But maybe next time, maybe next time. Maybe next time. All right. Well, we'll jump into our lifestyle segment now. Um, I think this will be fun. So as we mentioned, Prince William, the Duke of Cambridge turns 40 today as we're recording this. Um, and we did do a happy birthday episode for him a while back, but I thought it would be fitting to do a lifestyle segment in honor of him. And you know, I'm really excited about this one. I think it's pretty good. And I think our listeners will enjoy it. And I, uh, we were chatting about it the other day, Rachel. Um, but I'm going to present to our listeners, um, the Duke of Cambridge capsule wardrobe. So (laughs) what does that mean? I find Prince William to have a great sense of style. And in today's segment, um, we're going to take inspiration from his fashion so that our listeners can recreate his looks for the men in their lives. And I say that because most of our audience is women. Um, so we'll kind of be speaking to the women in this segment. But if you are a man and happen to be listening, you um, should definitely be able to take away some inspiration for your own closet. Um, so we'll go ahead and get started. I think we've got under 10 items here and we'll run through it um, and, and share our thoughts on, on his wardrobe. So the first item you'll want to purchase for a Duke of Cambridge capsule wardrobe is a handful of collared button-up shirts. Um, I recommend starting with white, light blue, and maybe a subtle pinstripe. You know, the collared button-up is really a closet staple for William. Um, he dresses them up and down. He looks so natural wearing them. He pairs them with ties. Um, he does them, you know, Uh, with a few buttons undone at the top sometimes for a more casual look. Occasionally, he'll opt for a thicker, crisper fabric with his suits. Um, And then we'll see him sometimes in more lightweight, kind of relaxed, textured shirts uh, for a typical day. But I think that's a great place to start when you're building your Will-inspired closet. Um, Go with some button-up shirts. And I thought this was funny. I saw online when I was um, looking around for stuff for this segment, People are calling William's look like, what are they calling it? His dad, his dad look or something like that. Or his, um, oh shoot. I'll have to think of what they were calling it. Uh, but it was pretty funny. So we'll start with the button. There is nothing a man can, this is my personal opinion. Nothing a man can wear that is sexier than a button up shirt. That is the sexiest thing that a man can wear I don't know why I love it when men dress it up like for a corporate situation Mm -hmm. I love it when they dress it down that is like an Achilles heel for me so I just want to say that I completely co-sign your first item so speaking of shirts I would add a few polo shirts to the mix they don't personally do it for me like button-ups do but polo shirts are awesome too we've seen William in these much more casual short sleeve shirts when on vacation with his family Listeners might have noticed he was wearing one in the Father's Day photo that we just referenced at the top of the show, and it was posted on the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge Instagram account recently. So you can keep it classic with a white, navy, or tan color. Make sure, though, that they're not too oversized or too tight. They should be well-fitted and tucked in, of course. So the polo is also a staple of William's capsule wardrobe. 
Yeah, I agree. I like the collared shirt um, over the polo, but polo is pretty classic. So, and I remembered it's called, I think they're calling it the dad, Prince William's dad uniform. <laughs> dad uniform. Okay. The, we're getting, we're starting to overuse dad bod, dad I uniform, know. all this stuff. Like it's just. And if that's, if that's a dad uniform, I'm okay with that. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Especially the button ups and don't pop your collar on the polos. That's not sexy. Just, <laughs> that's just my personal opinion, but I agree. Anyway. So next on our list is classic Chino pants. So this is, of course, another staple in his wardrobe. We've gotten used to seeing him rock chinos almost every time we see him. Um, he tends to stick to navy or khaki, occasionally gray. Um, and you know, Rachel, what I really love about his classic style hmm. there, it's so easy to like mix and match these items that we're talking about. And I think keeping the wardrobe to these blues, whites, tans, grays, kind of neutral color tones allows mm -hmm. you to make a lot of different outfit varieties. So I just think it's really classic and I like the chinos too. I agree with you. And it's also really relatable, right? Like he's obviously the future king, but any anybody can afford this. The great thing about his style you can find them at a variety of price points. So you can go with the high-end designer brands, you can go with middle of the road, very affordable and still find these looks. And some examples of brands that you might start with listeners include Brooks Brothers, Ralph Lauren, J. Crew, Banana Republic, Old Navy. All of those are relatively affordable and can fit within your budget. So anybody can wear this. For sure. All right, so jumping back in, let's get down to shoes. Um, I, I personally think shoes can make or break an outfit. I think they make a huge difference. Um, and I think William's shoes always do a really good job of complimenting his look without drawing attention away from what he's wearing or what he's doing. So in one notable exception, and that's those helicopter shoes who wore the Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> I can't yes, get over call out. I can't get over those. But anyway, normally, yes, they do not take attention away from the look. Oh, that is so funny. Yeah, good call out on that. <laughs> the Earth Cry so, shoes, which I think were velvet also, but for the most right, part, well, William's shoes keep it pretty, pretty simple. Yeah. Well, and, you know, in the royal world, we tend to look out for the women's shoes. Um, you know, we're always looking at Kate's heels or Megan's heels. Yeah. And um, I think we overlook the men's shoes a lot of times unless they're bad. Um, but I, I do think people <laughs> really like the helicopter shoes. I will never get over the helicopter shoes and I, and not in a good way. I didn't, I thought they were cheesy, but whatever, that's not for me to judge. So. Well, you know, while women do like the standout shoes, I think overall, you know, in a normal day when it comes to a man's wardrobe, I do think the shoes should blend in. And um, one thing we often see William wearing are these, um, I think they're pronounced chukka boots. Um, I have to say, um, so I've seen them in pictures and stuff, but I don't know if I've ever purchased a pair for a guy, um, but they look great. So he pairs them with chinos and his button up shirts, of course. And they they just seem like a good shoe for men. They're versatile. You can wear them, you know, with khakis or jeans or navy pants. They blend in really well. I think sometimes they're like a suede looking material, not flashy, um, you know, not super specific for any particular activity. And, and I think they're just a good mix of dressy and casual. So I would say to the girls, you know, put chukka boots on your, on your gift list for your guy. And I think I'll do the same. You know, as many 
shirts and fragrances and the like that I've bought for so many men over the years. I've never bought a man a pair of shoes. Is that weird? No, I've never bought a man a pair of shoes. Not that I'm opposed to it. I just never have. Anyway, so speaking of the perfect mix of dressy and casual, I think every Duke of Cambridge capsule wardrobe needs a pullover sweater in a dark or muted color. Yes, yes, yes. So this is another article of clothing we have seen William in countless times. It makes a capsule wardrobe piece because it pairs so well with so many items in a man's closet. It's preppy like a Duke and it can be pulled over a collared shirt. I love that by the way, when the collar's sticking out, love that with dress pants for a work engagement or it can be worn with a pair of shorts or jeans for a cool walk on the beach. So we usually see William in a thinner cashmere sweater, either a V-neck or crew neck, but you could also do a thicker cable knit for the colder months. Yeah. yeah. Where are those, by the way, I'm dying in hell down here in Birmingham, Alabama. So (laughs) thinking of colder months makes me very excited, but yes, I agree. I love that. Yeah. I find the, the pullover sweaters and the collared shirt to be super, super attractive too. So Okay, so up until now, we've kept the wardrobe staples pretty basic, but I am about to jazz it up with our next item. Are you ready, Rachel? Oh, yeah. Okay, let's let's get things exciting. Why not go for an eye-catching belt for your man? So I think that that is really William's way of showing a little bit of his personality when it comes to his clothing. Um, He actually has this one belt that we've seen him wear over and over again on several occasions, going back really quite a few years at this point. And I actually was wondering if listeners have ever noticed this. So listeners, if you've seen him in this belt before, message us and let us know. Um, So he has this Argentinian style brown leather belt. It's got these woven ivory colored accents. Uh, It kind of reminds me of like kind of like an Aztec print sort of. um, Mm -hmm. And I guess it's like Argentinian. on these belts, but according to GQ, William was first seen wearing this belt in 2011 at a stampede in Calgary with Kate. And then he wore it when Kate um, and him posed for their first photos with baby Prince George in 2013. And he was also seen wearing it again um, on their tour in India in 2016 and a few other times as well. So I'm not really sure where he got this belt, but GQ recommended some brands that may have similar options. Um, listeners could try La Matera or Estribos if you're looking for the Argentinian style. And I just think a belt is a great way for a man to personalize his style. And it, you know, if the Argentinian look isn't really your thing, um, I would say, think about, think about what is like, what is your man passionate about? So, you know, in the South where we live, the preppy style is actually fairly popular. A lot of men here, I don't know if you've noticed this, Rachel, they'll wear those needlepoint belts. Yeah. Um, and they're actually very, they're very beautiful. Um, so sometimes they'll have like fish or dogs, or maybe a state flag or the U S flag, or even your favorite football team's logo. Um, and they can be pricey. I don't know exactly how they're made, but they've got leather on them. And then they've got the needlepoint embroidery. Um, so I would say, think about your guy's style, think about what he likes and gift him with a really great quality belt that he can wear for years to come. Yeah, that's a great idea. 
That is a great gift idea. Um, so wow, we are on accessories. Let's stay here for a minute. I think men can also make a statement with a great pair of sunglasses. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. We have seen Prince William rock the, these great sunglasses from time to time. We've seen him in Ray-Bans and Oakley's on different occasions, but I'm really into this one pair he was seen wearing at Wimbledon a few years back. They are Italian brand LGR, and I think they complement this capsule wardrobe so perfectly. So he was wearing the Suez style, which comes in three colors. I think he was in the black. And their website describes this style of sunglasses as understated elegance, which I think is the perfect description for these. Listeners, you need to go Google these glasses to really see how great they are. Why are these Why are these uh, brands, by the way, not our sponsors, Jessica? We are getting no kickback for this. So this, is, this is just because we like them, but we really should reconsider this in the future. Anyway, um, their website even has a photo of Prince William wearing them, so you can see that too. Just being totally upfront, they are a little pricey. They're like around or at $400, but I think you can likely find a close dupe for these if uh, bougie sunglasses are not in your budget. But yeah, you know what else I like? Um, you can't overdo this, especially in the era of Top Gun Maverick, but some aviators look really good too. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. God, I, I, I actually I wear sunglasses. Yeah. I wear aviators myself quite frequently. I know your sunglasses game is good. Um, really strong. Actually, I keep, I, I lose mine or um, I jump into bodies of water with them and they go mm-hmm. down the river. Um, like I, so I don't buy expensive sunglasses because I'm so prone to losing them, but the right pair of sunglasses can, oh man, that can really elevate a look on, on I, women too. I'm thinking of men right now. Like that can really do it for me. Yeah, I um, actually love this pair that William was in um, at at Wimbledon. Um, I think they look great for men. But I actually, Rachel, I dropped a pair of expensive sunglasses in the ocean at the beach a few years ago. And um, I would never have been able to get them. Thankfully, I was with my parents and my dad was out swimming. And when I dropped them, he went down and and was able to get them out of the sand. But I I would have never, like the, the waves had already like, you know, I was flustered. I was upset. They had carried them off and um, my dad saved the day. So <laughs> way to go. Way to go, dad. Thank you. <laughs> I have to tell you this one. Okay. This is neither here nor there, but I was in Costa Rica. I had just bought a pair of Costa Rican sunglasses, not even three hours prior. I jumped into the hot springs. I forgot that I had put the sunglasses like at my chest. Like I'd hooked them into the top of my swimsuit. I jumped in, I lost them forever. And I have never been so angry. And that was three-ish years ago, two, three years ago. And I've never bought anything other 20, uh, over $20 pair of sunglasses since. I don't, anyway, (laughs) so that's, that's my sob story. But yes, you do have a good sunglasses game. Well, you know, sometimes the $10 ones, they work just as well. So exactly, exactly. All right, well, let's close out this segment with um, our final items uh, that we wanna use to kind of tie it all together. So it's time for outerwear. And I'm gonna suggest two coats to complete the capsule wardrobe. And if you are a fan of William's fashion, you can probably guess what they are. So you wanna make sure your man is outfitted with a tailored blazer and a classic field coat. So when we see William out and about, we often see him in a, in a tailored blazer, usually navy, I think. Um, 
you know, a blazer can be paired with, with a button up and tie, or it can go on top of that collared shirt, pullover sweater combo. Um, you can dress up just about any look with a blazer, but I do recommend making sure it's fitted well so that it, you know, it hugs his shoulders comfortably. It doesn't hang too low. I think an ill-fitted baggy or boxy blazer just ends up looking sloppy. So I would say just make sure you have it tailored to fit properly. And then for the field coat, you know, this is a classic royal um, preppy look. And I'm sure you've seen them in those brownish green tones. They can come in a waxed fabric. Um, some of them have a corduroy collar that folds down. And they're really a great look, in my opinion, for fall. They also come in women's styles. So if you are the kind of girl that likes to match with your man, maybe you guys can get... <laughs> matching field coats yeah. um, <laughs> oh, <but> okay. <laughs> so you can find them at a variety of price points as well depending on your budget so of course barber is the brand most of us are probably familiar with that's a little bit on the pricier side but you can get them at ll bean orvis filson j crew banana republic they they all look great um so that pretty much does it for our uh, Duke of Cambridge capsule wardrobe. Rachel, we have outfitted our men and I really love how we kept it to under 10 items. I think they are, like I said, easy to mix and match. Um, to listeners, I say make a list based on um, these items, like a, a gift list um, and start thinking about upcoming birthdays or holidays or your fall wardrobe shopping um, with the men in your lives and be sure to include some of these. I love it. If you dress like Prince William, you're doing pretty good. I like his, I like his style. He, he yeah. doesn't have very many missteps. He's, he's just got like classic guy, quote unquote guy style. You know, he just looks good. For sure. Yep. So anything else, Rachel, before we close it out? No, this, I mean, for a, for a week without a guest and uh, post platinum Jubilee, that was a lot. So we, we ran through it all and um, we'll actually be back next week. We normally are on a cadence of every other week, but we'll be back next week with a special guest before I'm gone for two weeks for, uh, I almost said for the Platinum Jubilee, for my own Platinum Jubilee with nobody else but me and my friend <laughs> to London. So we'll be back in your feeds next week. Listeners, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Podcast Royal. Email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. And please follow, rate us five stars, review our podcast, send us all the good messages. We'll be sure to share them on here. And thank you so much for tuning in to episode 64 of Podcast Royal. Bye. Bye.